developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi, friends. This is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today, visiting with us is one of my dear friends, Heather Schapter. Heather's truly an amazing person. You'll see her power and passion, success, and creativity. And today, we're going to talk about living a life from a vision, the world empowered, the end of poverty, with the rights of women and girls fulfilled. And we all know with what's going on in the world right now, this is a huge topic by all means. Heather is the executive director of Crossroads International, which works with local partners in sub-Saharan Africa to advance rights, reduce poverty, and increase access to justice for one million women and girls. She has held leadership roles in some of the world's most respected international non-governmental organizations in the Caribbean, Africa, Russia, the Middle East, and Southeast Asia. Asia. Heather lives in Toronto with her family, and I'm just thrilled to be able to have you here today. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight, Heather. Thank you so much. So great to be here. So let's kind of jump in. Um, With what's going on in the world, I wouldn't even know where to start in that question. We've all talked about poverty for years. There's been programs and and over and over, and we're still dealing with such an issue of poverty. Why ending poverty? Talk about the importance of what that mission is. Mm, thanks for the question. Yeah, it's a great question. Like, why why end poverty? And I guess my question or inquiry is is often, you know, why not? um and you know there's there's a personal piece you know I would say and it's it's the piece that links also to vision is you know it's personal for me about ending poverty personal from the perspective of um that's a purpose or a vision it just has me if you will so there really isn't a good reason to end poverty. There isn't even a good reason why I'm interested in ending poverty, but it's something that is a source of fulfillment for my life. And what I'll add is it's really about empowerment. So in my case, what's empowering is ending poverty, but really peeling all that away, it's that people are empowered. And even if I look at my bank account, when we look at dollars from a poverty and financial perspective, I don't know about you, 
Lynn, but my bank account goes up and down. <laughs> so, <laughs> sort of like about, an elevator. <laughs> right, exactly. That's and, right. And I, I'm being light and, you know, with the women and girls we serve, it's not so light. My point is it's about empowerment, their empowerment, my empowerment, your empowerment. And the poverty piece is just really what is very fulfilling for me. And also because I know it's possible. Right. So let's talk about empowerment. And, you know, that cuts across all financial groups. It's not, I don't think that uh, being rich means that you're any more empowered than not having the funds. Um, mm-hmm. so, so talk about what's happened that so many people may not be empowered. Mm, such a great question, too. And you're reminding me of, you know, a conversation that I had recently about poverty. I'll go back to the poverty piece and just to say, and this might be a little bit controversial, but, you know, there isn't anything wrong with poverty, first of all, as in some of the poorest families, maybe the most empowered families. So even looking at it from that perspective, right, Okay, so poverty, when you're not wanting to have your situation or your circumstances financially, it's really about the empowerment piece. What's the gap about where you'd like to be? And then really what could be at the source of your empowerment? And yes, why are so many people not empowered? So I'll just, you know, look again for myself and then share from my experience that it's only when I am not participating in a community, a global community, a local community with my family, that's the time when I can get down on myself. It can be the times when I'm that expression of being in my head, you know, a dangerous neighborhood where no one should go alone. Um, So I think that might be a piece of it. And another aspect as well is that in the work we do at Crossroads, for example, a lot of it is around what's called voluntary cooperation. So we're not sending money to our partners in Africa. Our partners are saying, here are the skills we would love to build in our organization. And we will provide volunteers, skilled volunteers. So it's the first time, though, in the history of Canada, so this is the Canadian context, that young people, there's a dip in their interest to go abroad and volunteer. Now, why is that important to empowerment? Some of the speculation is, oh, it may be that young people or all of us are participating so much virtually that there's less interest to connect in person and to travel. I wonder, is there a dip in empowerment because we're not as much in person? We're not as much in communication in a way where you and I can be back and forth. And that's a speculation. 
That's interesting. What do you think the impact, you know, I have thoughts on that as well, but the impact of even if you have group meetings and, you know, group courses, the impact of not being in person, how does that impact community and, and empowerment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're really seeing in, in our work, there's, you know, there's the advantages and the disadvantages. And, you know, one thing on the advantage front, I will say, that's been, you know, really extraordinary for our uh, partners in Africa. So we've got, you know, 60 partners in, in nine countries in sub-Saharan Africa. And, and I'll say, you know, thanks to COVID, they have really developed their capacity to be virtual. And, you know, we've, we've supported them with that. So what that means, Lynn, is they can now interact directly with advocates, supporters, anywhere in the world. Yeah. Anywhere in the world. And, and that, that, you know, that, that is a, an amazing advantage. Um, and then even also with, you know, we're doing a lot more work now with, you know, mobile applications to support women and girls who have been um, having to deal with gender-based violence. So, you know, through WhatsApp, you know, they have access now to support and they can get help they need. So those are life-changing um, opportunities and advantages. But there's nothing like being in person, right? There's nothing like being in person. And so how do you, what's that great mix that can still have that accessibility be available for those who wouldn't have it through the virtual? and then how do we still ensure that that in-person opportunity is there for empowerment? Right. Um, why don't you tell us more about Crossroads? Uh, what, who it is? You've talked a little bit about their missions, but I'd like to hear, you know, more specifics about some of the programs they do and some uh, personal stories about that. Yeah, sure. Um, so Crossroads has been around for 63 years. Um, and I'm based in Canada, but it actually had its start in the U.S., the United States. And uh, so 63 years ago, there was a reverend doctor, James Robinson, and he had this idea that he would like to have Americans go to Africa. He wasn't really that hopeful that um, the Africans they would visit would necessarily get a lot out of uh, the visits or the volunteering, and I'm sure the African colleagues did. But he thought if those Americans came back to the United States, and this was during the Civil Rights Movement, with a new view of the world, it could transform something. So that was the, the seed of and the planting of the seed in the United States. Um, could I there just was a crossroad? Yeah, yeah. Could I ask you what is it that you know you said that it could transform something? What is the something that they were hoping to transform? Just to have a different view of the world, different from whatever might be a constraint to the uh, you know civil rights movement, so that it could be more successful. Okay. So, and, and just to say. That that is what we hear over the there's you know ten thousand volunteers who have had mandates with crossroads over the years, and that is the unifying piece 
is that they come back with a different view of their life and of the world and one that leaves them empowered. And I'll just say now how it came, the crossroads to start in Canada. So there was a, a, a small group of individuals in a very small community in Canada, and they were so moved by um, what people shared when they came back um, from Africa, they raised $10,000 63 years ago. So even today, $10,000 is a lot, but then it was sure. it was quite a bit more. Yeah. And they went to um, Reverend Dr. James Robinson and said, you know, we'd love to contribute to what you're you're creating. And uh, he said, thank you. And how you can best support my vision is please start your own crossroads in Canada. So that's how it started 63 years from this uh, geography. Yeah, that's so interesting. And so uh, how many uh, you have staff and volunteers? How big is this organization? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so, so there's been 10,000 volunteers over the years who've had mandates and, um, it, it used to be in 45 countries, you know, in terms of partners, um, and, but we've never had offices, I would say in other parts of the world, but now, uh, we have four offices in Africa that are staffed by our African colleagues. Um, and then we have two offices in Canada. Um, so it's a total of, uh, 55 staff. And it, that's also in, in Anglophone and Francophone, Africa. And then we have 60 partners with which we work. And I'll just say something about that because it's a really key part of, I think, the effectiveness of the work that we do is we, we have it like, I mean, if you can think of the community organizations in your town, there is, we could say, the closest to really getting a good sense of what does the community need and what are their priorities. So, so we have that approach, right? So our partners, they're the ones to tell us, well, what really, what are the biggest barriers to keeping girls in school? Or what are the biggest constraints that are still having girls be married really young? So <laughs> we really look to them for what they say the community priorities are. And then, you know, we collaborate and support with them to help fulfill on closing those gaps. So, you know, what comes to mind right now, Heather, is, and uh, and the yeah. mission and the work is, you know, so important. But here, even in the U.S., we're seeing states, you know, Florida, Texas, other states that are going backwards in what I see your mission is in giving gender equality and uh, especially helping women. Uh, what, what access and, uh, you know, what are your thoughts about? You know, like, I feel like we're going backwards in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's really a, it's a great observation. And, and I would say that even in some of the countries where we operate, politically, we could say it's also going backwards. So um, a couple of things. One is, you know, one of our values is um, diversity. Right. So that's not just in terms of ethnic diversity, but it really is this, uh, you know, going back to Dr. Robinson. So, like, how do we be open enough to hear diverse views and not 
judge them or, you know, we're allowed to judge them for a second. <laughs> right. So diverse views that are not right in support of, of, of equality. And then um, how do we include them in the conversation? So um, whether that's in, you know, states in, in the United States, or I can say there's some provinces in Canada um, as well, or um, within Africa. And I'll just tell you a story that, um, so I won't say the country, but so there, there's a, a country, you know, where, where we operate. Um, and the law for girls to be married, girls could be married at 14. And the age for boys for many, many years has been 17. And that's what it is, by the way, in most of the world. So there was a lawyer, um, very... I'll say diminutive, you know, small in stature. And um, she came and spoke at one of our Day of the Girl breakfasts here in Toronto. And I met with her first, though, in this country in Africa. And uh, I was asking her, her name is Rebecca Jumi. And I was saying, Rebecca, so um, she really has this stand and lifelong commitment to have that age of marriage be elevated and equal, equal with boys. And uh, when I spoke with her in Africa, she was at the point that she had the, she was in the Supreme Court and she was advocating for what I just said. Now, the government of the day had said they were going to appeal every argument, all of that. So there's quite a back and forth. So when I met with her, she was awaiting the decision of the Supreme Court of Appeal. Mm. And, and I said, Rebecca, what will you do if the court rules against you and keeps in place this law? Girls can marry as early as 14. And she looked at me with this kind of quizzical, like, what kind of, <laughs> what kind of a question is that? And she just said, well, we'll keep going, of course. We'll keep going until it's changed. Like that, right? So, uh, so she came and she spoke for the Day of the Girl, which is in October. And she sent me an email the week after saying the Court of Appeal had thrown out 100% the arguments of the government. And today... The age of girls to be married is 17 wow. boys in that country. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great story to hear that kind of success. Because um, too often with the media, we always hear the 14 and it's a problem. But the, I was going to ask you, you know, with all this hard work, what kinds of results have you seen over the years, especially since you know, the media now is so focused on us going backwards. Uh, I love, do you have another great story like that? We have just a couple minutes before our break. Uh, sure. Of another, another yeah. you know, great miracle that's happened because of the kinds of work you do. Yes, yeah, thank you. And and just to say, you know, the media is right as well, right? Like the, the UN is saying, the United Nations is saying, we're, we're back 15 years in terms of the fulfillment of the sustainable development goals. So, um, but here's a quick story just to say that 
Um, you know, we're educating girls on tablets, very simple, on what, what are their rights? And I spoke with um, two of these girls uh, in Africa back in October, uh, and that's exactly what they said. They're learning what they need to do so they won't get married off young. So those kinds of learning labs, they reduce the likelihood of early childhood marriage by 33%. That's really something. So very, yeah, so a very effective tool, yeah. Yeah, that is great. Um, well, we're going to break in just a minute here, and when we get back, um, you know, I, I want to really talk about um, some of your personal travel experiences, if you've actually gone to many of these countries as well, um, as well as the power of community. We've thrown that word out, but if you haven't been involved in um, – personal development work or some kind of work where community is the essence of really making anything possible. Uh, you just can't even imagine the power of community. And um, I'll just share a quick, you know, quick uh, story for myself, just the power of community with some of my friends who have had some significant healthcare issues and the way community has shown up. They're not the doctors, they don't have the drugs, the surgeries, but the power of community to find the people they need to find, the places they need to go to uh, is overwhelming. And um, what can be done with community, I don't have to tell you, but just for the listeners, uh, is well beyond miracles on a daily basis. That's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. So uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break here, and we'll be back in um, just a few minutes to continue on with Heather Schapter. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this. Discover the power of the seeing brain, the creator of your true vision. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's number one bestseller book, Expand Your Vision, helps you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Remove roadblocks and visualize your new lens to see and experience your world. Get Expand Your Vision on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight.
Can your child organize, really organize? Parents and teachers will have practical step-by-step strategies and templates to help get their children organized with Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's Organize It workbook. Increased organizational skills create success and confidence in school, sports, and life. Get Organize It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're with Heather Schapter, who's the executive director of Crossroads International. And we've been talking about um, their great work on um, living a life of fulfillment and especially looking at the world empowered and the end of poverty and and the rights of women's and and girls fulfilled. So Heather, we've talked a lot about, you know, countries around the world, but for example, why should we sitting in the US and Canada, why should we even care about what's happening in Africa and the rest of the world like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a question we get a lot. And uh, I mean, the first thing, I mean, I'm gonna be a bit provocative, right? To say, you know, you don't have to, you really don't have to care. You know, is the first thing. Now you could care. Now why? Why? Why might? Why might it be a good idea to care? Well, you know, one of the things is, you know, unfortunately, there's just no better example right here, right now, um, in why we're all connected. And the the example is COVID, right? So, you know, um, could it be more obvious that you know if someone has you know, COVID in, you know, East Africa, that it really actually could impact my family right here right. in Toronto, Canada, your family right there. So, you know, I think we maybe have known that before, but from a health perspective, boy, that became really obvious. Now, you know, when that might be discovered, sometimes the reaction can be really overwhelming. Like, oh no, like how do I then impact what people are doing in East Africa, right? So so the other piece I would offer is you don't have to do anything directly in East Africa. Now, of course, you know, there's organizations like Crossroads and, and many others doing great work and um, there's always the opportunity to, or you know, support organizations like ours. But the other thing that the research shows is that if you look in your own community and look and see what matters to you, even around, let's say, equality, that the uh, the OECD has shown that advocacy locally even can make a difference in far-flung lands. Now, how could that be? So let's say three communities in Canada start really caring about equality around ethnicity. Um, Then that actually pressures our government to look at its laws around diversity, around ethnicity, around equality. And then when Canada sits at the global table with the other nations, it starts to put pressure on these other nations to have the same laws in place, or at least to be representing voices 
in the same kind of way, and then their laws are impacted for the better. So that's so, what I would offer to that question. Yeah, that, that's so interesting. And um, some of it gets down to beliefs of that we, we all are one, we all are connected. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I believe when people feel very um, entitled or separated, uh, yeah, that that goes by by the way, and therefore that it's goes like by the way, yeah, yeah, and therefore I'm happy in my house and I have my money and I have my kids and why do I do anything else? And then I think there's real equalizers, like you said. I think healthcare is one of the easiest healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, weather, climate change. Those are equalized. Doesn't yeah. make any difference where you're at and how much money you have, uh, that doesn't protect you from many things that are happening in the world. Um, Yes. Yes. Those are great examples. Yeah. Yeah. So you had mentioned about, um, how to be open to diverse views and that's a topic, um, you know, you and I take a lot of personal education and, and there's lots of ways to have discussions, but especially with the divisiveness and the political situation, uh, certainly in the U.S. And, and it's all over the world now. How might we best approach even just that question to be able to listen to somebody who's totally opposed to your po- political or religious view? This has been a question mm-hmm. that's been an issue really for all mankind for all these years. But what suggestions mm-hmm. or I, you know, direction might you recommend? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is such a great question. And I think, you know, one, we live out personally, and then perhaps in this case, <laughs> on the global stage too, um, you know, I'll even say that my, like my ex-husband and I, right, so there's the personal, like he has really different political views <laughs> than I do. <laughs> now, what's the shared horizon, right? Like, where's that common vision? Well, guess what? It's in the form of, you know, two young men known as our children. <laughs> So, yeah. so, you know, that, that, that I would just say kind of, you know, on a personal front is really um, what has me get unhooked, you know, after some time to be able to, to listen and be interested in, and also to really have my kids grow up with a capacity to be with, to listen to, you know, different views. And then I wanted to share about, so we have this um, partner in in Africa, and so their their vision, um, you know, is in this area of what's called access to justice. So it's it's really ensuring that you know women and girls who are extraordinary but find themselves in you know very difficult circumstances around sometimes rape or sexual violence um, that they are supported by this organization. So when I was with her four years ago. I asked the executive director, so this is um, with the partner, I was asking her about her own journey. And uh, she told me that on the way to school one day, her eight-year-old son was raped. And, you know, very matter-of-factly, I think she, you know, she shared the story many times, very powerful woman, also had been in government um, enforcing or trying to bring about laws that would make it illegal to, um, you know, beat up your spouse, right, for domestic abuse. And by the way, that law got passed. But I was so struck by her capacity to transform a system 
Now, while how this links to being able to be open to diversity, she didn't want to just save her son, if you will. Mm-hmm. She knew that who did that to her son, that they didn't really have a choice about what they did. She wants the system transformed so the transgressor can have the support they need. So I was so struck by that kind of a capacity because it's one thing for me to say, oh, great, you know, I'm I'm growing. I can hear my ex-husband's views, right, on something. But I'm not personally threatened physically, and neither are my kids. But she had a very personal and, you know, horrific act happen to her son, by the way, who's, you know, thriving and great, you know, many, many, many years later. But to have her capacity to want to have that transgressor who we could say would have a very different view on how all of you know the world is operating that is something i would say i aspire to that kind of compassion that capacity to be way bigger than the you know individual act to see what's possible yeah i mean that is such a generous compassionate person right to do yeah. that yeah and uh I mean, that's the answer of how we could solve these problems. The obstacle is how do we create and create and build the leadership with that kind of generous um, compassion to sit down at the table and work together? Yeah, I mean, I think the, and I'm going to say the only, and perhaps, sorry, it's, you know, always dangerous <laughs> When I say the only way, but that common vision, I mean, so great who you are and what you stand for and what this podcast is about in terms of vision beyond eyesight. And so if there's any thread or shred of common vision, that that's what I think is a key to at least be open enough, you know, both sides or multiple sides to be able to have a conversation. And then maybe I'll just speak to structure for for a sec. So just, you know, in Canada, and please, by no means am I saying the political system is perfect. Um, But one of the things that has been cited over the years is there are always at least three major parties in an election. And so what that means, and maybe we could look at that politically, or we could look at like me versus you, is when you've got the third, it seems to help something. Like it isn't just the one against the other. There is a third and sometimes kinder or mutating, not mutating, like minimizing the, the kind of clash that is only there with you know me against you so that's something that's been cited over the years about this kind of a political system yeah that's really interesting as you're describing it uh, uh, the vision that came up to me right away was it's no longer about right or wrong you know it's chocolate yeah. or vanilla yeah. kind of thing yeah. Um, yeah yeah with that third party there's discussions and um that, that that's very interesting um, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. And I think, you know, that common vision is what is missing. And, um, you know, I, I had uh, Peter Fikowski on talking about climate change. And, you know, we had the mm-hmm. same discussion. Here we have all this p- 
political rife and, and why can't we move towards climate uh, restoration as a, as a world? And it's political and people say it's financial, mm. but the way he explained it, it wasn't uh, that big of a deal financially. But it's all about the common vision. Do you want this world to be destroyed for your kids and grandkids? Mm-hmm. And not everybody, but most people would say, no, I want you know, my kids yeah. to have a lovely, thriving world. And then you have personal conversations. You know, it doesn't start with the top. It's kind of bottom, bottom up in a lot of cases. And um, and just having that common common vision. But then the power of the community for conversation is what I see as an important step. You mentioned mm-hmm. community, you know, making anything possible. We just touched on a little bit. Go ahead and say more about, you know, power of community from your perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, even just reflecting on as we were going to have this conversation, you know, what what I want anybody to be, you know, left with, and 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 that is, um, you know, that they're not alone. And in fact, the only time I ever ever get disempowered or you know overwhelmed is when I feel I'm alone, you know, in something. So, and then we look to, you know, in in this case, you know my vision and, you know, I think it's just totally doable is, is really, you know, poverty is an extinct conversation. Um, you know, by 2030, you know, all the statistics show we're, we're done with poverty. Um, well, you know, that is only going to happen with lots and lots of people, <laughs> Right. So, you know, taking action, you know, um, inside of that vision. And, and some of those people will be in communities, global, local, um, you know, across many different spectrums, realms, diverse, all of that. And in fact, going back to the, you know, diversity question, I think also, I don't know if it'll only happen, but it'll happen a lot faster. You know, if, if those who currently look not to be in favor of the end of poverty get really engaged you know, in, in this as a as a possibility and see the benefit for themselves. So that aspect of community and then, you know, I'll also just say anytime there's an obstacle, right? I mean, commun- community is, is the answer. And, you know, how I would say new for me is I no longer talk about the women and girls we serve as victims. I talk about them, really who they are for me is extraordinary. And by the way, everything we do is in partnership with all genders, but um, women and girls are the the access. So the thing, though, is their circumstances in some cases are very, very difficult. You know, whether it's, you know, they're having to adapt to, you know, no more rain in their region because of, you know, climate change or because of abuse or because of lack of leadership opportunities in politics. So how, again, can these extraordinary women and girls facing very difficult circumstances overcome them? It's always in community, in community with their partners, as in the organizations that are serving them. And like here as a community, your community of listeners, if there's even just one person 
out of this podcast, but here's something for themselves to connect to what's possible for these women and girls. That's community. Yeah. So beautifully said, um, Heather. And what you just demonstrated was your common vision. Instead of seeing these women and girls as victims, uh, they're extraordinary. All of a sudden, that creates a vision in my mind as seeing these people differently. They're in terrible situations and, and need support. But that's already, you know, changing the vision uh, uh, and, and really creates a whole new way of not only looking, it offers new solutions. And, and um, mm. you know, a lot of people, and I know, myself included, so many people feel they're alone at times. And that's different than lonely. Um that they're not part of community. And, you know, I learned this years ago in yoga, it's always a perceived separation that we perceive mm. ourselves as being separated out, but that's just a perception. And then all it takes yes. is one conversation, a phone call, uh, a listen to start building community. And, and truly, I think uh, we've seen so many examples of what community can do. Look at you know, things that have happened in Israel and the community bonding together, even with different views, how they're, um, you know, making the politicians relook at some of their policies. So so community, I believe, is access to making anything possible, which is great. Well, we're going to be uh, closing here in just a few minutes. Heather, I want to make sure that you uh, give information on how people can reach you. And um, we'll have this information on our show notes as well, but uh, go ahead and let people know uh, how they're able to get a hold of you. Oh, great. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. I would say just um, email me directly, which I'll, I'll give my email and I'll, I'll get back to anyone and everyone uh, who is generous enough to send a note. So it's Heather, my name, H-E-A-T-H-E-R, Ash, C-I-N-T-L dot O-R-G. So C-I-N-T-L dot O-R-G. So I would say just just reach out. And uh, I'll also just mention, Lynn, the website is C-I-N-T-L dot org. So uh, just to come on in, you can, you know, learn about the programs. We do have newsletters also that go out to, you know, about 30,000 people. It's a great way just to stay connected, speaking of. Um, a really wonderful community there. Um, and you might see or hear something that's of interest to you to learn more about. So uh, that's a, um, an invitation. Excellent. And on our last minute, is there like one thing you'd like to leave our listeners with for their, for their life, for their day? I love this little tagline we have, which is volunteer, advocate, or donate, just look and see how could you engage in empowerment in your own community. So that's what I would leave listeners with. Look and see what would have you be empowered and take action today. That's just great. Well, Heather, I just thank you so much for who you are in this world and and what you're up to. And I'm just honored to be your friend. And I thank you so much for being on us on this uh, podcast with me today. And, um, and just really am grateful for you and everything you're doing. Thank you. And right back at you. It's a joy to, to be with you and get to participate in this way in the great work that you're leading. So thank you to you too, Lynn. 
Uh, that's great. We'll see you soon. Thanks to everybody. Okay. okay. Bye-bye now. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.